Hey, there it is. There we go. First things first, I am not Andy. All right, so let's get that out of the way. Uh, my name is Elijah Keene. I've met a lot of you. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting all of you, but I am the new worship pastor here, and uh, I am so blessed to be able to speak with you today, and uh, it's already going better than the first service because I forgot my Bible the first service, and now I have it. So we are on a roll. I'm so excited to get to share with you today, um, and, and today's a little extra special for me because um, my wife and I, we served the last four years um, at a church in Florida called Tomoka Christian Church, incredible church, and um, we were the, the student pastor, and, and we did the worship as well, and uh, those past four years of our life, man, they were, they were incredible, it was an amazing season, but also um, some of the hardest things we've ever walked through happened in those four years, and, uh, and my hope through those, those struggles, through those ups and downs, we're like, someday God is going to use this as a testimony. Um, and today, Andy told me I could preach on whatever I wanted, which is dangerous. But I finally get to, uh, to share that testimony, and I, I really hope that it speaks to somebody. Um, and so I'm, I'm honored to be here with you today, because um, I believe there's power in every story. So before we start, would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you. God, we are here for one reason. It's, uh, it's you. God, we pray that the words that, that are spoken today are from you. God, we pray that what we see, what we experience is just you. God, we pray that uh, you just soften our hearts, prepare us for what you have, God, and I pray you just you do your thing here today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, all right? From a young age, I, uh, I would consider myself to be what they called... A ladies' man, all right? And uh, let me tell you, my parents are here today, so they can fact-check you uh, if, if you're interested. But let me tell you, okay, there are two things you need as a high school student. High school students, actually, it's probably different for you now, okay? But when I was your age, there was two things you needed to get the attention of the girls, all right? You needed to be able to play the guitar, okay? Check. Got it, right? The other thing, equally if not more important, you needed a Justin Bieber hair swoop, Okay? And I had it, and I would, I would flip it, right, all the time. And that was basically the strategy. And so, you know, you're growing up at, at summer camp with those two things, right? You're golden. So I, I was not used to getting shot down very much. I was pretty prideful about it as well. And so um, I get into college, right? I see this girl that I'm interested in, and I had upped my game. No longer did I have the beaver swoop. I had, like, the long man bun, right? I, I see a couple little top knots up in here, right? <laughs> game recognizes game, right? And so I had, I had the flow, right? And so I see this girl, and I'm like, here we go, right? So I walk in, I'm like, I don't know if you've heard of me, but my name's Elijah, right? And I'm, I'm just doing everything I can, fully expecting to, uh, to, you know, just get an easy number, right? 100% uninterested. I was like, well, something's wrong, right? <laughs> this doesn't normally happen. And so I, I, I try and I try over the course of the, the school year, and I kid you not, I probably asked this girl out like 10 different times before she finally said, yes, she would go out with me. So we date for, uh, what was it, like eight weeks? And honest truth, after eight weeks of being with this girl, I knew I was going to marry her, 100%, no doubt in my mind. And uh, you've met her, actually. She sang on stage with me today. We are married, so I did come through in the end. But uh, it was a rough journey, right? It's my lovely wife, Amanda, and, uh, and she's incredible. And uh, let me tell you, a couple, couple weeks in, right, 
I'm, I'm getting the butterflies. I'm getting the feels, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to drop the L-bomb. We're going to go there. I'm going to tell her that I love her, all right? And I'm like, I don't know really if she's there because, like, I really had to work for one date. So what I did is I wrote a letter, right, just pouring out my sensitive heart, and I saved it. I'm like, come this time. I'll know when the time is. I'm going to say it, and she's going to say that she loves me back, and it's going to be a fairy tale ending. It's going to be amazing, right? And so I keep it in my pocket. The opportunity struck, right? New Year's Eve, right? That's a romantic holiday. And so I'm waiting, and I'm like, all right, she's going to come. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be together starting the new year. What a perfect time. Well, she calls me with five minutes till midnight, crying. She's like, I'm lost, right? The GPS, it died. I don't know where to go. I'm not going to be there for midnight. And I'm like, well, I've got something to brighten your day, right? <laughs> Letter time. Rip it out of my pocket. I read that thing. I confess my love to her. And you know what she said back to me? Thank you. <laughs> oh, that one was tough. So I'm like, okay, she just needs a day to process, right? She just needs a day to let it sink in. So the next day, I kind of bring it back up. I'm like, what would you think of that letter? It was really thoughtful. Anything else? Nope. <laughs> so I make the decision, you know what? I'm not going to back down. I am going to confess my love to her every day until she confesses her love to me. And for 31 days, I confessed my love to this woman with no reply, okay? After a full month, I kid you not, she finally told me that she loved me in return. And I knew she did, and I felt it, and she was so good to me. But let me tell you, I could not fully experience the love between us until she responded. Because the truth of the matter is, with our love, with any love, to fully experience love... Love demands a response. You don't get the full experience of love if you don't have the response, if you don't have both sides meeting in love. And it's so true for every type of love. So first, as we talk about love today, I want to define it. What is love? All right, because in our culture, especially today, we got a lot of different definitions flying around. But if we're going to operate from a place of truth, the definition has to come from the place of truth. But first, it's going to come from the internet. So what does Google say, right? <laughs> Google says, love is an intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest and pleasure in something, right? So like, you know, ladies, when you're walking down and you see the top knot and your heart just like skips a beat, like, that could be love, right? You never know. Whenever, maybe it's you have a love for, for I don't know, Pizza Hut pepperoni stuffed crust, pizza, mm. Maybe that's what you love, right? And we use love in all these different contexts, but there's a deeper definition that we're going to operate from today. See, the Bible talks a lot about love, and if we're going to dive in, we have to operate from a place of truth. And so in the Bible, there's actually a lot of different words used for love, and it's used for different kinds of love. I don't speak Greek, so I'm going to use the, uh, the translation, all right? What they mean is there's brotherly love, there's romantic love, familial love, and unconditional love. Now, unconditional love, the word that is used, many of you are familiar with, it is agape, right? That is the unconditional, no matter what, ride or die love that God has for us. But love is not just something that God has. Love is something that God is. See, 1 John 4.16, it says God is love. Not God feels love. Not God gives love, though those things can be true. God is love, and is love infers something different. It means not only is love something that is a part of 
of, of what God uses, of what God shows, but it is a part of his character. It is a part of who God is. The very definition of love is intertwined with the character of God. So this is the love that we're going to talk about today, the deepest form of love, the original love of a heavenly father to his creation. Now, I fully believe that we as human beings, we were created to fully experience love. And I don't believe that we always do. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But we are created to fully experience God's love. And like we said at the beginning, to fully experience love, love demands a response. So today we're going to look at three ways that God shows his love for us. They're not the only three ways, but they're the three I picked, all right? So three ways that God shows us his love and how we are to respond to them. Because even if we know that God loves us, if we don't respond... We're not fully experiencing everything God has for us with his love. So if you're a note taker, there are three big ones today. Number one, God's love is unconditional, right? Something you've probably heard before, unconditional. Now, we like to throw around the idea of unconditional love, but I would go as far as saying most of us would struggle really letting that sink in. Because if I'm being honest with myself, I would love to say that I have an unconditional love. And I hope I do. But when push comes to shove, maybe I have a limit, right? Maybe I love someone this much, but if they've taken this many chances and burned this many bridges, I start to grow a little cold. And I think that's the truth for most of us, right? Most of us, even if we don't know we have a limit, I will love you this far. But unconditional love, it's beyond our understanding because it doesn't have that line. It's I will love you and love you and love you. But before we talk about what unconditional love is, we first have to talk about what unconditional love isn't, because that's so important. Because so often we, we accept a twisted definition, and it changes the truth to where it's no longer the truth. So here's, here's what happens in our culture today. We hear unconditional love, but the definition that we operate from is all condoning love. And now that's very different. See, it sounds a little something like this. I love God, and God loves me unconditionally. So what that means is I can live my life how I want. I can live any lifestyle that I want. I can make any choice that I want, regardless of what it says in the Bible. And God loves me, and not only does he love me, he supports me. He wants me to be happy, and any choice I make, God is for because he loves me unconditionally. That sounds great, right? I, who wouldn't want that? That's a golden ticket to live your life however you want with no consequences. And man, so many people believe that lie because it's so easy to believe, but that, that is not unconditional love. That is all condoning love, and that's not what God's about. In fact, God, God is not all condoning. If you flip through the pages of this book, you will see God is actually very vocal about what is acceptable and what is not. And so many people think, okay, well, if everything's not acceptable to God, then he doesn't love, but it's just not true. See, love has boundaries. Love has choices, right? You can't force somebody to love you. It goes like this. See, God, he desires you. He loves you, whether you choose him or not. But salvation is a different thing. Salvation stands apart from love. You see, it's a completely different thing to be loved by God and to be saved by God. Now, God wants both. But there's a choice in the midst of that. There's a difference between being loved by God and being saved by God. See, this is the truth. 
Jesus' sacrifice, it was a promise. When he died on the cross, when he gave his life for us, it came with a promise, a promise of eternal life, a promise of forgiveness of sins, right? The package that we know as salvation. And it's an amazing thing. But hear me, that comes with a premise. His promise of salvation comes with a premise, meaning there are things you need to do to qualify, right? Now hear me out, all right, because this can get a little tricky because we're not saved by our good deeds, but we are given one command. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, here's the premise, believes in him, here's the promise, shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? And then further in Scripture, that phrase is broken down. What does it mean to believe in God, to respond, to surrender? All these things, right? But there is a premise with the promise. And the reality of the situation is God can love you, and you can choose hell. And that is uncomfortable with us. But it's so true. God can love you, and you can choose hell. How is that possible? Well, let me tell you. We've talked about what love isn't. Let's talk about what unconditional love is. We come across this parable in the Gospels, right? It's the parable of the prodigal son. And I don't think there is a better example of God's unconditional love than the parable of the prodigal son. Right? A parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. And so in this story, it's about a father. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, it's God, right? And then there's a son, which is mankind, right? Men, women, his creation. And so this is how the story goes. There is this father, and he has the son. And the son, he's disrespectful, right? And he says, hey... I want my inheritance right here, right now. I'm done with this family. I'm done with you. I want my money, and I want to go. Father says, I love you, but the choice is yours. So the son takes the money, and he goes off into the city, and he squanders the money. He spends it on anything and everything that he wants, right? Every desire of his heart he gets, right? He goes out and parties, and he has tons of friends because he has tons of money, and he does all condoning. Whatever lifestyle he wants, he does. Holds nothing back. But eventually the money runs dry. And when the money goes, so do his new friends. And now he has nothing and he has no one. And so he gets a job feeding pigs, right? Which seems like a lowly occupation. Now, if we have any pig feeders in the audience, I didn't write it, okay? It could be really cool. But I'm just telling you what it says, all right? He feeds the pigs, right? It says he looks at the slop. That doesn't sound good, right? He looks at the slop and he's so hungry. That he says, man, if I could just have some of the pig slop. Now hear me, I've, I've been hungry, all right? But I have never walked into the kitchen, like looked into the garbage disposal and been like, if only. Oh, man. Just put that on a slice of bread and there's my lunch, right? No, that's disgusting. I've never been that hungry. But he's that hungry. And so he's like at this crossroads, right? He's like, okay, even my father's servants eat better than this. But how could I go back after what I did? After I burned the bridge, after I, I just told him he meant nothing to me, how could I go back to my father? And so we see this dilemma and we see what he does. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 24. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 24. And we, we see this incredible reaction. And this is a representation of God's unconditional love for us. It says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Just a quick little pause, all right? You got the Elijah commentary today. If I was the father, all right, and my son pulled what he did, and then I see him coming from a long way off, I would be filled with something, but it wouldn't be compassion. I'd be like, honey, get me the belt, right? It's about to go down. And so, but no, it says the father, he's not filled with anger, right? He's not filled with revenge, with frustration. No, he is filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Such a powerful image of the son returning home with no business to return home. To a father who had every right to turn him away. And yet he met him with open arms. He ran to him, filled with compassion. That is the unconditional love. Now notice the father didn't run out and say, I support your decisions. You did the right thing. I'm all for you. No. But he met him halfway. And he said, come home. That is the unconditional love we have in God. God loves you so much. Even if you're gone, right, away from where you're supposed to be, away from the direction of your life, right? Maybe you live a life that is contrary to the life that God has called you to. Maybe you, you live in sin and you know it, but you're just so deep in you can't get out, right? Maybe you made a mistake last week. Maybe you made a mistake on the way here. Maybe you have mistakes planned for later this afternoon. Let me tell you, God does not love you any less. He doesn't condone your mistakes, but he longs for you to come home. That's the unconditional love. And that, that begs the question, right? The same question that, that the prodigal son came to. How could God love and desire me after what I've done? It's a question that needs an answer. It's a question that we ask, right? How could I, how could I go back to living how God wants me to live after I've run so far? Many of you here today have felt that, maybe feel that. But let me tell you this. God loved you before you provided any value or any worth to him, before you praised his name, before you made a choice for him or against him, God loved you. He said he knit you together in your mother's womb. He loved you then. And so if God loved you before you provided value, then he loves you just as much when you don't. Because his love for you is not based on your choices. It's not based on what value you think you provide to him. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. God loves you because you are his child. That is the unconditional love of God. But like I said at the beginning, to fully experience that love, love demands a response. So how do we respond to God's love, right? How do we fully experience it? Number one, run home. If you find yourself far from where you should be, whether it's a step or a mile, we believe this lie that we have to clean ourselves up first, right? That we have to, okay, well, let me stop all my bad habits and, and I'll go back to church and then I'll join a small group and then, you know, maybe I could prove myself to God. That's not how the story goes, right? Because the enemy will make sure you never get there. We don't have to prove ourselves. We just have to run home. And he'll meet us there, filled with compassion, 
but we've got to take those steps. Run home. Another way we can respond is mirror God's love to others. Right? It's one thing to receive the forgiveness God has for you, but oftentimes it's a harder thing to give that forgiveness to others. Right? Because I've been in the boat where I've praised God for forgiving me of my sin, but I have had such a hard time forgiving someone else for what they did. But man, when we remember the compassion God has for us, if we are going to respond to that, it has to go out into our lives, into our choices, into our forgiveness, our compassion. And finally, to respond to God's unconditional love, we have to mirror that love back to God. And that's something that has been kind of a new concept as I was putting this together. How do we love God unconditionally, right? God doesn't sin. God doesn't go off on the wrong path and come back. No, he doesn't. But what God does do is make decisions that I don't understand. What God does do is chooses to go a different direction, even though I'm praying for this direction, to close a door that I am begging him to leave open. And in those times, when we don't understand why God's doing what he's doing, if we remember how much he loves us, how much he cares for us unconditionally, then we respond by trusting him unconditionally. Saying, God, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way, right? But you're God, and I'm not. And because you love me no matter what, I trust you no matter what. And when we get to that place, when we run home to God, when we mirror it to other people, when we unconditionally trust God, we fully experience the unconditional love of God. So how else do we see God's love? Number two, this one's one of my favorites. God's love for us is wild. Mm, I like that, right? I'm the middle child, a.k.a. the wild child, and so like, I resonate with the, with the wild, right? But now sometimes God's love being wild doesn't sit well with us. Right? Some of you are the firstborn, right? And you're like, structure, right? I got it, you know? But some of you, you're like, God's love is, it's got to fit in this box, right? And I've been there, right? And all of a sudden, we kind of put God's love in this nice little box, and this is how we experience God's love, and this is the things we do. Here's, here's God's love. It's right here. This is all it is. I understand it. It makes sense. Yes. But no. That's a piece of God's love, Right? And if you're going to fully experience God's love, you want the whole thing. And God's love is wild. Just look at scripture. We see that God is passionate. God is jealous for those that he loves. He calls for feasts. He calls for praising, dancing, and celebration. And so often we miss that. So often we miss that God not only loves us, but he is wild for us. Check this out. In Psalm chapter 45, verse 11, it says this. Right here. Psalm 45, verse 11, it says this. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is the Lord. Now let's give some context, because that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? It's talking about the king being God. And who he's talking to is his bride, the church, right? He's giving this wedding analogy, and it says, The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord, and I was looking at this verse in some different translations and paraphrases, and when I came across it in the message, it used an interesting term to paraphrase the meaning here. It said, the king is wild for you. And I like that, right? Because it takes it out of the box. God loves me, yes, but God is wild for me. God is passionate. He is jealous for me. His love is unpredictable, right? His love is wild. 
So often we miss that. So let's talk about our response, right? That's, that's a fairly easy concept to, to lay out. But how do we respond to God's love? And this is where I feel like we miss so much. God offers us so much through his love, through his wild and crazy and passionate love. And we experience just a tiny taste, right? Because here's the deal. Our response to something is dictated by our connection to it. Here's an example, right? So I am an avid disc golf fan. Do we have any other disc golfers in here? I know we're few, but we got to, there we go. Yes, my people, right? Disc golf, you're throwing the Frisbees into the chains, right? I love it. It's the fast, second fastest because pickleball's first. Growing sport in America, all right? We're getting there. And so I love playing disc golf. And then a couple years ago, I figured out there is professional disc golf. You can watch it on the internet. And so now, whenever a tournament comes up, right, I get on the couch, I get my snacks, I'm ready to go, and I am pumped up to watch some disc golf. And I'm on the edge of my seat, and they get to the 18th hole, and right, my favorite disc golfer, let's go the final putt for the win, and it goes in, and I go crazy, right? I'm jumping up and down. I'm getting just ridiculous about it because I'm hyped, because I'm so connected, I'm so in it, I'm invested. But let me tell you, my beautiful wife, Amanda, she doesn't love disc golf like I do, all right? She will be in there. She'll see the same thing that I'm seeing. She will have access to the same experience that I have, right? But most of the time when she's in there watching disc golf, she'll get a little bored and get a little distracted and get out her phone and check to see if she's off the waiting list for the Taylor Swift tickets yet. Not yet, but we're still hoping, right? And so the putt goes in. I'm going nuts. She could care less. But we have the same experience. Why is it different? Right? Because your response to something is often dictated by your connection to it. I say that to say this. What does it say about our connection to God when we have a mild, tame, in-the-box response to God's wild and out-of-the-box love? It speaks to our connection or often lack thereof. And I've been there. Right? But let's look at what it should look like. Let's look at someone who really fully feels the weight of the wildness of God's love. Check it out. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see this really cool thing. King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, which is a big deal. The presence of God is once again living with the Israelites, and he's hyped, right? David is like full into this, let's go. And so this is what it says right here. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 and following. It says, David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. That's a mighty dance, all right? I mean, we're not talking just like a little like foot tap, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's going. America's next best dance crew. Like, everything he's got, right? David dances before the Lord with all his might. In 14, and it says, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. And so what happens is he's, he's coming in and he's, he's going nuts, right? He's dancing with all of his might, whatever that looks like, to the point where his wife looks out the window and sees him, secondhand embarrassment, like to the max. And wives like, you've been there, right? Your husband's watching the football game or the baseball game, right? Home run. They like spill the popcorn. They're cheering, belly bumping everybody in the room. And you're just like, who did I marry? What is happening right now? Right? You've been there, right? That secondhand embarrassment because they're going so crazy. That's what's happening. And so she confronts him about it. And she's like, David, like calm down. 
David's like, I'm going to call him up. And that doesn't even make sense. And that's how hyped I am. I'm going to get even more undignified than this. Right? He says, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's how wild David is when he experiences the love of God. It says he danced with all his might. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you could say you worshipped with all your might? And it's not just music. Sometimes we connect with music. Sometimes, like, we connect in our prayer time. Other times it's, it's evangelism or reading the word. But whatever you're doing to worship God, whatever you're doing to experience his presence, when was the last time you did that with all your might? That you got just as excited about experiencing the presence and the love of God as, as whatever your hobby is, the football game, the baseball game, whatever it is, right? When was the last time you let yourself get that invested in the love of God? And so what it looks like for me, and it looks different for everybody. It doesn't have to look the same because we all worship in different ways. But what it looks like for me, I'm, I'm a musical worshiper, right? You probably knew because I got hired as a worship pastor, all right? That was like my dream from the time I was 10, so I am just loving God's path for me. And so I've always connected with God through music, through praise and worship. But there was a time where, like, I was that guy in the crowd who, like, I feel the tug of the Holy Spirit and, like, the hand wants to go up. And then, and then my embarrassment's like, shh, no, 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 not today, right? I've been there, right? And so I'm trying to, like, you know, give one of these. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Amen? What? Hmm? Right? Been there, right? I wanted to get there. I wanted to experience the wild love and response, but I was, I was scared. I didn't have the courage. And so I made the decision, like, halfway through college, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to worship with all of my might. Whether the worship is incredible or whether, like, honestly, I just don't think it's that good. And here's the deal. That's just my opinion. You could love it, all right? It's very subjective, style-wise. But, like, whether I'm connecting or not, I'm going to worship wild. So I started doing it, right? And what that meant for me was, like, when I start worship, if I want God to speak to me, right, I just open up the hands, give him the TV tray. I say, God, give me what you got, right? If we're worshiping and praising and I want to get there, right, I lift the hands, right? And I'm like, God, let's go. Let's celebrate and let me tell you, it's uncomfortable, right? It's not, it's not always effortless. It's not always like, yes, I'm in it, right? But the word of God says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And so for me, what that meant is in worship, I'm going to give God my uncomfortableness. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it, right? I'm going to give God my comfort. I'm going to give him my courage, my pride, my fear, whatever it is. And I'm going to say, God, like, I'm yours. I'm here. I'm lifting my hands. I'm singing loud enough that somebody might hear me, right? Sometimes I even get on my knees and give it all to God, right? Whatever it is, whatever he prompts me to do, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to worship with all my might. So my question for you is, what does your response look like? Maybe, maybe you're a worshiper like me. Maybe you need to get a little bold and be the first one to, to raise the hand, right? Maybe you're a prayer warrior. Maybe what that looks like is, is you write down people's prayer requests, you have a prayer room, you go to war, and you pray with all your might. Like, amen. Get wild with it. Maybe evangelism's your thing. Maybe you're the person who's bold enough to march up and be like, hi, you don't know me, and you don't know Jesus. Let's talk about that, right? And just segue right in, right? Maybe, maybe sharing the love of God to people is, your, is your, your wild act of worship. Whatever it is, respond to God without fear. And get a little wild. Finally, we're going to look at one final way we, we experience God's love. God's love for us is personal. 
And this one, this one means a lot to me. Now, you might think, like, it's kind of the weakest of the three. Like, yeah, it's personal. He loves me. I get it. Like, we're done. Time to go to Chipotle for lunch. I understand, right? But hear me out. God's love is personal. Understanding this concept, for a while, it wasn't even a concept that I thought of, right? Uh, There's a lot of things that, that gave me trouble that I had to think and study and pray, but, but God's love being personal was never even on my radar until about two years ago where I went through this season where that became so incredibly vital to my faith, right? Let me tell you what happened. I was a student pastor for the past four years. And in my youth group, there was a boy named Landon. Landon was uh, like 13 or 14 years old. Awesome kid, right? His, his family actually didn't come to church very much, and so he would get a ride from his grandma so that he could come to youth group. And he was, he was a joy to everybody. And so one day, Landon comes in, and, and Landon, he, uh, he's limping. I'm like, you know, this kid's in, in good shape. He shouldn't be limping. So I'm like, Landon, what's happening, bud? He's like, I don't know, man. My leg just feels funny. Like, been limping for the past couple of days. Okay. So I see him the next week at, at Wednesday night youth group, and, and now he's like on crutches. I'm like, whoa, dude, what happened? He's like, honestly, I don't know. Like, the leg thing just got worse. I'm going to have to go to the doctor. So another week goes by. He comes back in. He's in a wheelchair. True story. I said, Landon, like, what happened? He said, I've just lost more and more feeling in my legs. I've gone to the doctor. They can't figure out why. They don't know what's happening. They're running all these tests. So I'm like, okay, like, keep me updated. A couple days go by, and uh, I get a call from his grandma. They got some answers. And Landon was diagnosed with, with stage five cancer in his spine. And it was affecting his legs, and he was unable to walk. And it, it was getting rapidly worse. And so they needed to do emergency surgery to try to take out the tumor. And so we're praying, right? Every single youth group, we're, we're getting together first thing we're praying for Landon. I'm visiting him in his house. I'm visiting him in the hospital. They do the surgery, and it's unsuccessful, and they don't get it. And so things get worse. Landon, he, he can't move very well, so he's, he's bedridden. They end up moving him into the hospital. But we still hold faith because I believed and I still believe that God is a God who can do miraculous things. He could do it then, and he could do it now. I stand on that. And so we prayed, and I'm being totally honest with you, I 100% expected a miracle. I believe that God can do it. I believed that he will do it. I was praying in expectation. I was so sure God will heal Landon. He's going to have an amazing testimony. He's going to get up on the stage. He's going to tell people what God did for him, and so many would be saved. I had it all planned out what God could do through this decision, and I was just waiting for him to do it. And it was a Wednesday morning. I got a phone call. And Landon had passed away. And that was tough. It's, it's still tough. We prayed so hard. So hard. And we believed that God would do it. And I still believe he could have. But he didn't. And that rocked me like I had never been rocked before. I had never been put in that situation. It seemed like up until that point in my life, everything that I needed God to do, he did. Until now. So now I have a hurting, broken youth group to go lead. 
through questions that I don't have answers to. And that was tough. Right? I'm, I'm supposed to guide these kids through processing what happened when I don't know how to process what happened. And so we go, and, and I'm trying to just make sense of this. And, and if I'm being honest, I, I'm mad. I'm so mad at God in this season. And I'm like, God, why? That's the question that I just keep coming with. Why? Why? What reason could you possibly have for taking a 13-year-old? Right? Well, part of the plan is that. And I would love to tell you that I have an answer, that I got an answer, but I don't, and I still don't have that answer. But God wasn't done working. And so I'm wrestling through this, and, and we're going through as a, as a youth group, as a church, and we're mourning the loss, and we're trying to and just put the pieces together of, of why this happened and what this means for our faith and for God. And for me, I reached a point where I stopped progressing in my, in my processing I hit a block that was so big that I was like, if my faith is going to continue, I have to have an answer for this question, right? If I'm going to continue preaching, if I'm going to continue worshiping, if I'm going to continue giving everything that I have for God, I need this answer. And I never got to that point before, right? I, I had a high trust in God. I still do. But I was at a low point. I said, God, if I'm going to keep going, I need you to speak to me. And the question was this. Does God love us or does God love me? And it might seem like the same thing, but it was very specific. Is God's love only communal? Is God a big picture God? Does he set the world in motion, provide a way for his followers to go to heaven? But what happens in between those two points? Hands off. I didn't believe that at first, but I started to. I started to think maybe God doesn't hear my prayers. Maybe he provided a way for salvation. That's more than I deserve, right? And praise God that Landon is in heaven this day. But that doesn't make it hurt less in the moment, right? So I'm like, maybe God just took his hands off the wheel. Maybe he doesn't see my tears. He doesn't know my struggle. He didn't, he, he wasn't there, right? Maybe God just loves us as a whole and there's no individual aspect. And, and that brings up a whole nother point, a whole nother list of points because if God... If he only loves us, if it's only communal, if it's not individual, then that means that I don't matter. Not, not an individual. That means my personal struggle is hopeless. That means that I love God more than he loves me. That means our connection is shallow. That means I have no value or worth, that I am forgotten, that my struggle is hopeless, that my tears are not seen, that my prayers are not heard, that I have no strength in the battle and I just got to sit back and hold on tight. That will lead you to an incredibly hopeful, hopeless, sorry, an incredibly hopeless and dark place. And that's where I found myself. I don't even know if God loves me. And my whole life, everything has been based upon me believing that God loves me. And now I'm not so sure. And so I said, God, if I'm going to go any further, I need an answer. I need you to speak to me. And it seemed like a long, long time. I don't know how long it was, but I didn't get that answer. So I prayed, no answer. I kept worshiping, no answer. Right? I still believed he was the way to heaven. I still believed that he had won our eternal salvation. But the issue I couldn't get past was, does God love us or does God love me? And I have to know. And so we get this opportunity, my wife and I, to go to this, this uh, worship conference through our church. And I was like, maybe this is it. right? Maybe God will speak to me through the sermons, through the worship, through the message. 
I'll give it a try, right? Because I'm on, I'm on, hanging on a thread right now. So we go, and there's incredible speakers, right? And they're giving sermon after sermon, and there's so much good advice on how to walk with God, on God's character and all these things, and I'm taking notes, and I'm just waiting for that moment where God speaks to me on what I need to be spoken to about. But it doesn't happen. Day one goes by, nothing. Day two goes by, nothing. And I'm trying to lift my hands, and I'm trying to accept what he has for me, but it's just radio silence. I'm like, God, where are you? I need you right now. And if you loved me, you would be here. And so I waited. And slowly my hope began to fade. And it was the last day. The last day is a half day. There's one session and then you go home. I was defeated. I said, Amanda, I just want to go. I got weekend services to prepare for. I didn't get what I came for. Let's go. And Amanda, for no apparent reason, she says, I just have a feeling we need to go. And we argued. And as usual, she won. So we go, right? And we're there. And so we get into the lobby, and they're already halfway through the sermon. The worship's done. That's my favorite part anyway. Preaching, I'm like, okay, like, I'm not in the mood for another sermon that's going to disappoint me right now. Can we just, like, stay in the lobby? Can we just not go in? And, like, usually I can wear her down and get, like, some kind of consolation prize in an argument. But this time she's like, no. No, we're going to go in. And we're going to sit in the front. I was like, <laughs> the front? I don't even want to be here. And so we argue, and of course she wins. And so there we, we walk in, you know. Of course, there's a spot open in the very front. I'm like, that's great. So we walk in, grudgingly sit down. I don't even know what she's talking about. This woman, she's preaching, and, and uh, I've never heard of her. I don't know what she's preaching on. But she goes into her next point, and it's the story of God healing the blind man. Jesus healing the blind man. And so I was like, okay, I'm familiar with this story. I'll, I'll tune in, right? So I'm listening. And the way she's describing it was interesting because I never really heard somebody talk about it like this. And so all of a sudden I start to get pulled in. She's talking about how this man was healed and why it's significant. She says, God, Jesus, he, he, he spits in the dirt and he makes some mud, which like honestly is nasty, but I'm not Jesus, so whatever he wants to do. And he rubs the mud on the guy's eyes. He says, go wash it in the river. Now this is very similar to how God... Uh, has healed in the past, but there's actually multiple accounts in Scripture of God healing the blind. And they're not all the same. And I didn't know that. And so he, he says, you know, go in the water. So he goes in the water, he comes up, he says, what do you see? And I'm expecting, like, everything, right? He's like, it's kind of blurry. <laughs> so he's like, he's not totally healed yet. I'm like, why, why is Jesus, like, Jesus could snap his fingers and he'd be 100% better. But he doesn't. He uses spit and mud, and it doesn't work right away. And so he says, do it again. And so he goes under a couple more times, and each time it gets better until the man can finally see. And she points out in this message that she's giving that that was intentional, that God healed this man in this way for a reason. And at this point, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm waiting for it. And she says the words that I will never forget. It's like they were just to me. She says, God's love is not a group prescription. God loves the individual. He does things different ways for different people because you're different people. Because he doesn't just love us. 
He loves you. He loves me. And that's all I needed. And in that moment, I responded to God. And this is what that looked like. And like I said, I have not always been one to, to boldly respond. I was ready to leave. But in that moment, through that waiting, through that pain and through that season, God told me that he loved me. He answered me. And if God loves not just us, but God loves me, if God loves you, if God loves the individual, that means so much. That means that I matter. That means that my struggle matters to God. That means that I can trust that God is fighting for me and my battle, even when I don't see it. That means that I am wanted and valued, even though I'm not worthy. It means that I have hope. It means that I have strength. It means that every one of those prayers that I threw up, he heard. They did not fall on deaf ears. God heard my cry. He didn't answer how I wanted, but he was there. It means that my struggles, my hurt, and my heartbreak are seen. Every tear that fell from my eyes, God saw. He knew the number. It means that I am known. It means that I can give God my everything. And I'm not talking about just the good things. I can give God my anger. I can give God my frustration. I can yell and say, God, why? And I did many times. He can take my fury, he can take my tears, he can take my questions, he can handle every bit of it, and he can also take my praise, and he can take my trust, and he can take everything I have, because he's all I have. You can give it to God because he wants it. God does not want you to experience a part of his love. God wants you to know that you are loved, individually and as a whole. He wants you to respond. He wants you to give him your everything, not a cookie cutter, sliced version of yourself that looks good on paper, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to give it to him. So that's what I did. They, they had an invitation time. They said, if God's speaking to you, come to the front. So I, I walked out. I didn't care who was looking at me. I came right to the edge of the stage. And I got down on my knees and I cried like I've never cried before. And I just gave it to God. Everything I had, every tear. And I wept. But it wasn't, it wasn't defeated. It wasn't hopeless, confused tears like it was before. It was a child crying in the arms of their father. I will never forget that day. And guess what? My situation didn't change. Landon didn't come back. God did not give me a special revelation explaining everything. I still couldn't tell you why he took Landon. But I'll tell you what I did find. I found hope. I found healing. Because once I knew that God saw me, that God loved me, I had everything I needed because I trust him. I trust that he knows what I don't. I trust that he has a plan. I trust that I will spend far more days with Landon than I will spend without because I know he sees me. 
because I know he cares. I found everything I needed when I laid it down at his feet. So I want to end with a question today. What do you need? What do you need? Because, man, sometimes we, we get in this routine. We come to church. We stand. We sing. Go to lunch. Go home. But, man, that's not everything God, God has for you to experience. God's love demands a response. We have things that we need. Maybe you came in here today and you need hope. Maybe your marriage is on the brink of falling apart. Has been for a little bit. And you put on a brave face and you come in church because that's what you're supposed to do. But what you really need is just hope. Just any shred of evidence that everything is going to be okay. Maybe you need healing. Whether it be physical or emotional. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you've been hurt. You're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be the same. Maybe you need to finally get past that thing that happened to you or that thing that you did. Maybe you need to finally forgive yourself for those words that you said. Maybe you need answers. You said, I don't know why God did this. I don't know why this happened. Maybe you need to feel the presence of God. Maybe you need to know that you are seen and you are heard, even if you don't have your answer. Maybe you just need to know that you're loved. Maybe you don't feel love in your family, in your friends, in your life, whatever it is. Maybe you just need to know that you matter just as much as anybody else. Maybe you need to finally say, God, have it all. I've been running. I've been hiding. I've been one foot in, one foot out. Say today's the day. Whatever you need, you can find it at the feet of Jesus. So this is what I'm going to do. There is no pressure. Right? There is no obligation. But I want to offer you an opportunity that changed my life. If that's you today, I offer you to come to the front. There's nothing magical about the front as opposed to the back, except you offer your body as a living sacrifice. You overcome your fear. You overcome the uncomfortableness and you say, God, have it all. If you want to talk to someone, there's people to talk to. If you just want to come and pray, then come and pray. If your friend goes, go with them. Because there is power when you surrender to what God is doing. When you know that God loves you, you find everything you need. So we're going to play this song, and this song is so special to me. It's called The One You Love. God showed me this song right after he walked me through this season. The chorus says, you take me just as I am. You choose me all over again. I am the one you love. And I'm going to sing it till I believe it. And as we sing this song, we invite you to worship. We invite you to respond. If God is tugging on your heart, don't miss it. Don't miss what God's doing today. Heavenly Father, God, we pray for courage to do what you are calling us to do. God, we pray that we can fully experience your love. Lord, I pray that whoever's heart you're tugging on today, whatever they need, they find it in your arms. Lord, I thank you that heartbreak can become a testimony. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I can be real with you. Say anything and not be afraid. You made me and you like what you made. You made me and you don't make mistakes. Oh, I can be real with you. You take me just as I am. You choose me all over again. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. I don't have to prove anything. There's room at your table for me. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. Let him have everything today. I know you're proud of me well, Even though I don't deserve it sometimes No, I'm not a perfect child But I still make my father smile Oh, I know you're proud of me
just as I am. You choose me all over again. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. I don't have to prove anything. There's room at your table for me. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. Yeah. I am the one you love. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you for pursuing us unconditionally. No matter how many times we turn our back, make mistakes. God, you love us anyway, just because we're yours. God, I pray that the decisions that were made in this room today, whether they came to the front or just heard your call on their heart, God, we celebrate those today. God, I pray that each and every person in this room knows that they are seen and loved as an individual. You see every tear they cry. You see every prayer that they pray. They are known they matter to you. Lord God, we just pray we go from this place. We are different each and every time. Let your love change our life, change our speech, change our choices. Lord, we love you. And God, for those you're working on, Lord, we pray this is not the end. This is not a moment, but a movement, a shift towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's sing this one more time. You take me just as I am. You choose me all over again. I am the one you declare. I am the one you love. I don't have to prove anything. There's room at your table for me. I am the one you love. Oh, I am the one you God, the praise and the glory in this place today. He is worthy of it all. Thank you guys so much. You can have a seat.